0: So Hebrews chapter 2, let me pray and uh, we'll get started. Jesus just, um, just ask that, that you would, that you would be lifted up, but at the same time that you would be seen in, in a new way, in a radical new way that, that forever impacts our walk with you, that after tonight we can't view you the same, we can't hear those who don't know you talk about you the same I pray that through your word, I pray that through an understanding of, of what you did when you came to earth, that, that we would draw nearer to you, that we would realize that you've drawn near to us, more importantly. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask now for your ability to teach. I ask all of us for our ability to learn, that we would um, set everything aside, the cares of the day, um, and that we would focus on you and, and, and what, a, what an amazing work that you did in coming to earth and, and, and paying the price. And so, just ask that uh, your people would be edified, Jesus, most of all, that you would be glorified. We love you. Can't wait to see you again. Amen. So the whole Bible starts off by saying, in the beginning, God created what? <laughs> Say it again. And In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Another way of saying that is that in the beginning, God created the spiritual realm and the physical realm. There are two realms, okay? And notice, where was God when he created heaven? There was nowhere to be. There was just God. People are like, how does that work? No idea. I can't wait to ask him, okay? Not quite sure, but a lot of us put him in heaven, then he does all the creating, right? There was a time in eternity when there was nothing but God. That was all. There wasn't even a concept of being somewhere. There was just the concept and understanding of a being, which is God. And so in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth the spiritual realm and the physical realm in the spiritual realm he created angels in the physical realm he created humans raise your hand if you met a human okay most of you are confused about the question we'll we'll get back to that all right so anyone met an angel okay let me tell you a little bit about angels angels are amazing they're not cute like the cartoons the Bible gives no indication that they're cute. It gives the very opposite. When people saw them, they freaked out because they were amazing. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. The Bible says they're wise. They're holy. They're set apart. They're fierce. They're warriors. They're messengers of God. Sometimes they brought the wrath of God. Amazing creatures. Not cute. No harp. No little cloud. Very, very strong, powerful creatures set apart from us, different from us, bigger than us, stronger than us, in a different dimension than us, in the physical realm. The Bible tells us that one in particular, he was actually the worship leader. That's why you've got you to keep an eye on those guys. They get a big head, right? One was a worship leader. His name was Lucifer. Magnificent angel. Amazing angel. He got the brilliant idea, the Bible tells us, that he would, quote, be like God. It's an angel that wanted to be like God. So he gathered a third of the angels. A third. The Bible tells us the angels are innumerable. What's the mathematical term for a third of innumerable? A lot. Okay. I was a comm major. It's the only math term I know. Okay. A third of an innumerable force, an innumerable force, a legion, a rank of angelic creatures, a third of them dissented. They rebelled against God. They picked a fight with God. No surprise, they lost their fight with God. They got kicked out of heaven because they wanted to be like God. Now that third of angels gets cast out. It gets stricken down. Those are what we call demons. Some of you don't believe in demons. You need to. Jesus encountered demons more than anyone in the Bible. You don't get to follow Jesus and avoid demons. Demons are a real thing. Angels are a real thing. So you've got angels now. You've got God who created angels. Keep that in mind. Did he not? Angels did not exist until God created them. So they are not gods, they are not to be worshipped. The Bible tells us that they do worship God because they were created by God. But a third fell and became a demonic rank and demons still exist and they still operate and they still collude and they still communicate and they still fight. The Bible tells us that they they cannot repent. Their fate, their eternity has been sealed and there's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal is backed into a corner. And demons are dangerous and they rebel, and misery loves company, and they try to take as many of us with them as possible. But I need you to remember that Jesus, before all things, in the beginning, Jesus created. And in, in Colossians 1.16, it says that Jesus was, in fact, the one who created. So when God the Father spoke, Jesus actually created. It says, by him, all things were created. Through him and for him, by Jesus, all things were put together. If you've ever seen a mountain, you've seen Jesus' handiwork. If you've ever, there was a magnificent sunset tonight. I was at CLU leaving the campus just about half hour ago. Magnificent sunset. If you've ever seen the sun and the moon, if you've ever seen the land and the sea, if you've ever seen day, if you've ever seen night, if you've ever seen seasons, I know we don't have those here, but you could imagine them if you Google them. Okay, I'm from Minnesota. I know seasons. You do not. You're like, no, it rains once. No, stop it. Okay. <laughs> I've seen seasons, they're very drastic, they're very amazing, they're beautiful, they were created by Jesus. It says that he created all things. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus created flavor? People are like, how do I do all things to the glory of God? Have you ever tried breakfast to the glory of God? Have you ever tried eating? Every time you eat something and there's flavor, I want you to think about Jesus. You're like, no, I think humans did that. Mm, We just put flavors together. We never created them. He created all things from raw, from nothing. He created it. That's Jesus above all things, and he created angels, and some of those rebelled, and now there's demons. And then on the physical side, he created humans. It says, stamped in the image of God. In the image, unlike all things in creation, unlike all the animals, unlike all the trees, all the mountains, we serve a separate purpose from those. We are higher creation. They are lower creation. We have dominion over them to be stewards over them, but we are set apart from that. That's why pantheism and panentheism that tries to weave God into nature is nonsense. Okay, and so, but on this side of the physical realm, we've got, the, we've got humans, and no surprise, he creates Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and before the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, they decide that they want to be like God. And they get kicked out of the garden. It's a little tough to look at Satan and be like, what an idiot, when humans did the same thing. So Satan, which is just a transliteration, Hebrew transliteration for adversary of God, now wars against our soul. He brings death he brings dominion over death. He has the power of death for a time. And he tries to take as many as he can with us. And so we set that up because I, I need to set that up because what we're not going to go through is go through Hebrews 1. And in Hebrews 1, I love what the author does. I love what the author does. I love, really love what the author does in 1 and 2 together. In Hebrews 1, and you can see it. If you've got New King James or you've got another version, you can see in one of the headlines in chapter 1, you may see one of the headlines is the sun exalted above the angels. Big idea. Hebrews 1. Big idea. Jesus better than angels. It's the biggest thing. I love this Jesus. You? I love the, I love big Jesus. I love King Jesus. I love how the Bible ends. I love Revelation more than anyone in this room. Guaranteed. I love that book. People are like, I'm a little too much. Right? It's like a Spielberg movie on crack. It's an amazing, Hollywood won't touch that movie, it's amazing, Jesus comes down, he's in a robe, he's got crowns on his head, his eyes are like fire, he's got a sword in his mouth, he's got a, he's got a tattoo, I've said, he's got, he's got an inscription, right, I joke, it's not really tattooed. tattoo, is it the ink, because don't tell my kids that, right, and so, he's got, he's got this, he's got this inscription on his thigh, it says, king of kings and lord of lords, he comes down, his robe's been dipped in blood, it's a white robe, you know you're confident you show up to a fight in white, right, And he comes back to earth. He goes back down to the mountain where he ascended. Who knows what he does with that mountain? He cracks it in half and splits it. That's gangster. (laughs) If our generals could do that on Iraq, we would have finished that war years ago. Just like, hey, go break a mountain real fast. Show him who's here. We can't do it. Jesus goes back to the mountain he ascended from, and he breaks the whole thing. I love that Jesus. I get so excited about big Jesus, king Jesus. Jesus. But what I often fail to do is go eye to eye with Jesus. you are like, what do you mean eye to eye? What we're going to take a look at here sets Jesus apart from all other false gods of all other false religions you will find on the planet. There's no God that does what Jesus did. But I love because the author of Hebrews says that he's above the angels, He's the express image of God. He's the physical imprint, yet he is greater than the angels. It's not only that he brings a greater message than the angels did in the Old Testament, it's that he himself is the embodiment of the message. And so the very physical being of Jesus is the breath of God. It's the physical stamp of God. No one can see the Father, by the way. It says that. and People get confused. They're like, but in the Old Testament, when people looked up into heaven and said they saw the face of God, guess who they saw? They saw Jesus. And so when heaven opened up and they could see the, 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 the train of his robe and the glory, it was Jesus that they were looking at before he came to earth as the incarnate Jesus. I love that Jesus above the angels. The angels worship him. It says that the demons tremble. Have you noticed that when Jesus shows up in the New Testament? What, what happens when the demoniacs run to him? Do they run and punch him? They run and they fall down. Why? Because they know who they're dealing with. We're like, I'll figure Jesus out. And the demons are like, we already know who he is, and they get on their face. And they're the adversaries of God. And they get on their face. Why? They know who created them. They know he's above them. And I love this Jesus, but very rapidly in chapter 2, the author tells us that this Jesus, the one that is glorified above the angels, becomes lower than the angels. And if I do anything, if, if, if if God's word does anything tonight, I pray it does this. I pray it brings Jesus eye to eye with you tonight. That that God that created all things for eternity, that the Bible says currently sustains all things. The reason the whole universe hasn't imploded is because Jesus has never flinched. He flinches, the whole thing goes down. He sustains all things. Every breath you take is sustained, is allowed by a living king. And he comes back and he, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And, and this is where I fail in my walk. I often leave Jesus there. Neglecting that he came right here. And so he becomes, as you're gonna see in this text, lower than the angels. It says a little lower than the angels. He comes eye to eye with us. We are a little lower than the angels. And so he set up this amazing picture of God's supreme revelation through Jesus in chapter 1. His superiority, and if you really want a theme for the entire book of Hebrews, it's Jesus' superiority. And so he sets him up above the angels who had previously brought God's word, to be sure. But he says at the beginning of chapter 2, therefore which means now that we understand this, therefore, Christian, he's speaking to the Christians. He's speaking to the Christians. He's speaking to the Jewish converts at that point. He says, therefore, if you believe chapter one, if you believe that he's above the angels, and I'm telling you right now, angels shows up like we freak out. I know we all think we're tough, me included. I'm crying like a girl in the back. I'm, I'm freaked out. I'm scared. These angels are magnificent. John in Revelation saw an angel and he fell on his face and started worshiping and it was so big. And the angel's like, stop it, I'm just a servant. He says, if you believe that Jesus is above those, he says, therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. More earnestly, how much more seriously should we then take the words of Jesus? And Notice he just says, drift away. Some of you maybe here tonight are here on the periphery. You need to know that sometimes leaving the faith or parting ways with the faith is not a radical departure. You didn't turn on the engine, say forget this and blow out the water. Sometimes it just means that you were on the outskirts and you just drifted away. You're not serving in the church. You're not loving in the church. You're not in community. And so it's very easy from the periphery to simply drift away. Sometimes it's not what you do that causes you to fall away from your faith. Sometimes it's just doing nothing. He says, therefore, if we believe this, how much more earnest heed, and to heed is just means to pay attention. He says, look, if they paid attention to the, what the angel said, how much more should we pay attention to what Jesus said. Verse two, it says, for if the word spoken through the angels provided steadfast, maybe a better translation is strict, it says, hey, if what the angels said was strict and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which was first, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Look, say what you will about the Jewish people. I'm here to break some news to you. They were better at religion than you. They were. We're JV at best. They're all Americans. Epic at it. They had a sacrificial system, they slaughtered animals continuously. The Bible says the temple flowed continuously with blood. For their sin, they put animals to death because blood must be shed for the remission of sins. They were better at religion than us. Didn't save them, it was always a faith. It's faith that saved the fathers before there was even the law. But say what you will, they did religion better than us. And what he says here is if they took it seriously when the angels delivered that, people are like, yeah, yeah, but now we're under grace. The author says, Then how much more fervent should we be in what we've heard declared to us by Jesus Himself? If you look at Jesus, like, oh, they were so strict. He says, how much more earnestly should we be? It's not that works saves you by any means. But if you believe in this great salvation, if you truly believe that in your heart, how much more fervent should you be to reflect God on earth now to a broken and dying people? Say what you will. The New Testament does not let Christians off the hook. Like, hey, Jesus came, no worries. Just chill out till he comes back. It doesn't mean you're saved by works, but what it does mean is that you're saved to works. He says, even more earnestly now, we take the words of Jesus seriously. But I love this, because he's setting them up here, but watch, he's going to swoop them all the way down, real fast. He says, how shall we escape to neglect so great a salvation? Verse 4 says, God also bearing witnesses, and this is the other ways that he's confirmed his word, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Verse 5, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. He says angels are not the end game. Verse 6, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. See, this is where this God becomes this God. He comes down here, and this is where I fail miserably is seeing this aspect of God, that he comes down and makes himself a little lower than the angels. Continuing in verse seven, it says, you have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. What I want to do is camp here for a second. I want to blow out this understanding because a lot of times we blow right by it. He became a little than the angel. Cool, let's move on. Something amazing just happened. You Allow me a Bible nerd moment. Allow me some theology. Allow me some doctrine. Don't be afraid of doctrine. Doctrine comes from the French word for doctor. It means to heal. Good doctrine heals. By its nature, it's divisive because people are offended by it, but, but good doctrine heals. And what I hope this doctrine heals is for those of you that are like me that puts God at a far off distance in a far off galaxy in the heights of heaven for all of eternity I want this to heal in your heart that that's not the all-encompassing Jesus that you worship. I want you to experience Jesus in a radically new way tonight. Some of you are going to think it's simple. Some of you are going to be uncomfortable at how simple it becomes and that's good. I want you to become that uncomfortable with how simple Jesus became. How real he became. Because if he could become that real, he can certainly understand what you brought here tonight. Like no other god of any false religion on the planet, and they get to invent theirs. And no one comes up with a god that does this. And so, what we're talking about is the doctrine of the hypostatic union. It's a fancy word, don't be afraid by it. Hypostatic union hypostatic simply meaning personal union meaning bringing together this is the doctrine that jesus is both fully god and fully man at the same time Who said how does that work i don't know how it works but i'm going to show you how it looks if i could describe everything about god to you i would be god himself I don't have to know all the answers. I have to know the one who does. But we can see in Jesus' ministry how this hypostatic union works. The best definition I've come across is the combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Christ. Hypostatic meaning personal, union meaning bringing together. Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is not half God, half man. This is not, was God, became only man. This is not, as some people say, God on the inside, man on the outside. It said in the first chapter that we didn't read, it, it says, Jesus being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The word image has the idea of a stamp. When God the Father decided to stamp his nature on earth, It was Jesus. It's that God, fully God, descended to his people and added humanity to his attributes. Fully God, he added humanity to his attributes. He is the express image. Jesus is the physical stamp of the nature of God. Fully God and fully human. And it's interesting because the first heresy, the first false teaching about Jesus, and I was just talking about this with an atheist friend of mine on Saturday before I taught on the same passage on Sunday because he was talking about these Christians that like don't have a sense of humor, right? You've met them. It's like 98% of us. Okay? It's like any Christian on Facebook. Oh, I, just, I call them lemon suckers just all day. It's just, oh, I don't like that. That's, that's offensive. It's like Jesus doesn't need you to be offended for him, okay? And so just this sort of, he's like, why do I get to post stuff and like you laugh because I'm over there liking everything. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And I love this guy. I've kept in contact with him from college. I got a heart for this guy, and I think Jesus is doing something in his heart, to be honest, because he comes to me with this stuff. He's like, hey, Mark, why, why, why do you, like, kind of have a sense of humor about stuff, about your faith? And so many other people don't. I said, look, I can't, I can't speak for other people, but I honestly think that people fail to see the humanity of Jesus. I, I think they do. I think they forget that Jesus had a sense of humor. No, he didn't. He didn't have a sense of humor. I, I'll, I'll give you two examples. One, some of you guys have over-theologized the whole camel through the eye of a needle. Personally, I believe Jesus was telling a joke. Some of you're like, no, but there was a hole in a door and with the architect and there was this idea that the picture and the and what does it mean and No, it wasn't. He's like it's like taking that mangy, disgusting, spitting beast over there and then slamming it through the eye of a needle. People are like, Pfft. it's kinda that's of, kinda of funny. That's how that's what it's gonna to take to get a rich man into heaven. He's like, Yeah, it'd be like taking that and ramming it through that. Like, that ain't gonna happen. He's telling a joke. Right? He's telling a joke. Some of you like, no. He didn't laugh. Okay. Okay, okay. He never laughed. Okay, the well, Bible doesn't say he peed either, but I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> Some of you are offended. You're getting uncomfortable. Don't talk about Jesus like that. What, like he was a man? What, like he was a man? Bible doesn't say he went to the bathroom. Did he? So you're already getting uncomfortable. You're like, this, this pastor, again, this. That's why they give him this room to teach, right? And, like- and they leave a door open so we can just exit. <laughs> you're starting to get uncomfortable with the humanity of Jesus, aren't you? that he came, that he told a joke, that he mocked people. Do you know that? He openly mocked people, the religious leaders of his day. Every single time you read in the scriptures, him ask a Pharisee, have you not read? He's making fun of him. It's like me asking a doctor if he's ever taken a test. <laughs> hey there, uh, doctor. You ever done homework? Right? Of course, it's, of course he's done homework, what? He's like... He was a student for his life. He's got $400,000 in debt to prove it. What was the Pharisee's job? He says, have you not read? What was the Pharisee's job? To read. To read. That was their job. People in the back be like, did he just, did he just ask him if he's ever read? <laughs> Homies, memorized the Bible. Of course he's read it. <laughs> he's being funny. He's being funny. There's an, there's an entire book. I forget the author now. I should have had it in my notes. It would have made me a much better pastor. There's a whole book on like, the humor of God. Right? We don't see it. We've detached that human, that human aspect away from him. And the first false teaching, it's interesting, the first false teaching, this is what I was talking about with my friend. The first, Because he's like, I've never heard that before, that Jesus laughed, that he did this, that he did that, right? He put us it, like he just floated around for 33 years. But the first false teaching of Jesus was not, in the church, was not. It's by a guy by the name of Serentis. A stream of theology known as docetism. Don't worry about writing those down. The first heresy, the first false teaching of Jesus was not that he wasn't God. It was that he wasn't man. Docetism, from the word that means to seem. It was that God seemed like a man. It wasn't that he was actually a man. It's that he seemed like a man Because Docetism is a strain within an overarching theology known as Gnosticism, which is that God is far away and can have nothing to do with anything physical. He can't have anything to do with anything of substance, because all substance is corrupt. Therefore, God could not be of substance. So the first false teaching in the first century against Jesus was not that he wasn't God. It's that he wasn't fully man. And he was fighting with the Apostle John apostle john was the last living apostle right got boiled alive sent off to an island to live by himself that's where he received the book of revelation he was tussling with this guy in ephesus probably why he wrote this in first john 4 2 by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is of god he says you want to know how to separate the false teaching from the true Anyone that says Jesus wasn't fully man is a heretic. The hypostatic union, fully God and fully man. So here's the hypostatic truth: that Jesus is one person, fully God, fully man. The Chalcedonian Creed states that Jesus is two natures. I like this, listen. That Jesus is two natures, these two natures are without confusion, without change without division, and without separation. Fully God, fully man. From conception on earth till resurrection from earth. Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher, said that in this one-person God-man, we find the, quote, admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. It's that God, this God, that God, Far off, distant, can't be seen God would come and add humanity so that we could be face to face with God, that He could serve us face to face, that He could kneel before us and wash our feet, that He could love and serve the church, that He could befriend the outcast, that He could heal the sick, that He could clean the dirty. That's the God that I want to serve. I don't want a God of the false religions. That says, you've fallen from me, find a way to get back to me. I want a God that says, you've run from me, and I'm chasing after you. And God came to his people in the garden, and God came to his people in the Old Testament, and he came to us in the person, the work of Jesus, and he pursued us on the cross, and in Revelation, he comes back to get us. Unlike all false gods of all false religions, our God is a God who pursues his people. Not one that demands that they figure out a way to get to him. It's the only, it's the only God that when you run from him, no matter how far, no matter how long, when you turn around, that's called repentance, you turn around, you find out that Jesus is right there waiting. You don't get back to him. He's been coming after you. Eye level. Eye level. And you say, but I don't get the hypostatic union. I don't fully either, but I do want to show you. Very plain, just very plain two columns. I want to show you how it looks. Though I can't necessarily explain how it works. I want to show you how it, wor- how it looks. And I think we've got a slide because I'm super fancy and trying to make PowerPoint cool again. And so it says this. In college they told us in public speaking to never turn your back on the audience. I didn't. I don't think I was there that day. But it says, as God, Jesus was called God. As man, Jesus was called man i are like, it's a good place to start, isn't it? Right? There's the scripture references if you want them. As God, Jesus is worshipped. And by the way, if he's just a good teacher, that makes him a bad teacher. So the people that say, well, Jesus was a good teacher, he was a good prophet. But if he accepted worship as God, that would make him the worst of teachers. So he can't, by his own words, be just a good teacher. So as God, Jesus is worshipped. As man, Jesus worshipped the Father. People are like, is that because he's less than the Father? No, it's because he always came to show us a perfect life. And if Jesus never worshipped, couldn't we just look and say, well, he never had to. If he's our example, he never worshipped. I've, I've said this before. I had a great coach. I had a lot of great coaches in high school and in college. One of the ones that stuck out to me the most was my high school soccer coach. He's from Bolivia. Like, you know, like a country that takes soccer seriously, right? And he was, he was amazing, because everything he asked us to do, he did it with us. That's a good coach. He's like, all right, we're going to uh, put people on our back, and we're going to run up this hill. When one of the co-captains, get on mine, I go first. We went for 12-mile death runs. What do you think Coach Omar did? He led the whole thing. He said, I'm not just going to tell you to. I'm going to show you. And so Jesus said, I'm not just going to say worship God. I'm going to show you and he was eternally connected with this father so as man he is worshiped or as god he is worshiped as man he worshiped as god jesus was called the son of god as man he was called the son of man as god jesus is prayed to as man jesus prayed to the father as god jesus is sinless as man he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin how did he do that? How did he know that line and be, not be able to cross it? That's where his humanity clashed. It, it was in perfect unison with his divinity because he'd experience everything on a human level and yet without sin. As God, Jesus knows all things. As a man, he grew in wisdom. He knew all things, but he learned things. How does that work? I don't know. Can't wait to sit around and ask him. I'm excited. I got a lot of questions, but something tells me I'll be too busy singing, right? In heaven and i don't sing but when i see jesus i'm going to be running around like an idiot up there like just singing right as god jesus gives eternal life as man jesus died it's another heresy he didn't really die he passed out physically impossible i've done the medical study physically impossible even if he survived the crucifixion no one then goes 3 days after that sort of beating with no water no food in a cave no one jesus physically died As God, all the fullness of deity dwells in him as man. Jesus has, notice it says has. This is gonna freak some of you out. Has, has a body of flesh and bones. He says it himself in Luke 24. When they don't believe it's him and he's got a glorified body, he says, check it out. Does the spirit have flesh and bones? And then he ascended. Jesus is in heaven right now on a throne to be sure. But guess what he's in? He's in a body of flesh and bones. And he promises us the same one. He says, we get a glorified body. See, some of us think just the spirit, he floats away. Now Jesus is just this ethereal, distant. No, he's up there right now with a physical body. Every bit is God. See, people think that, uh, that we're, we're lessening Jesus in this, right? Look, I'm, I'm here to tell you, God the Father didn't die on a cross for your sins. Neither did the Holy Spirit. They are equally God, yet with separate roles. Jesus is currently in heaven with a body of flesh and bones, a glorified body, a perfected body, one that he promises that we'll have too. But he's currently in heaven. He said so himself in that body. And I could keep going on this, but what I want to do, to be honest, that's the end of that slide, I want to focus on on more of this humanity because this is what has radically smacked me in the last couple weeks about my deficient view of Jesus. And I love preaching about his public ministry, but sometimes I still don't, in my mind, I still, in my heart, I still don't embed the humanity of it because it happened thousands of years ago and we can just kind of think that it was this one th- this weird life and it was great and it was perfect and he floated around in a man dress with a halo, and right? So I want to I wanna continue on his humanity because I, I, I maybe if you're like me, you haven't thought about Jesus in this way. Perhaps this is why when people say it's not a religion, it's a relationship, you're kind of like, that's nah, cheesy, I don't really get how that works. I don't, really, I mean, but he's God, like, the relationship, it's, like, different, and you start praying, and you just get weird, like, oh, thou art greatest king, though hear thee my, talk talk to talk to Jesus like you have a relationship, I don't know how to do that. Because we don't see him as, as being able to, as the Bible says, empathize with us. And so, I, I do want participation in this. I'm a huge fan of making you awkward. Um, I think Zach brought up a quote, something like, well, oh, shoot are Zach you in here no he left it's something about the preacher's responsibility is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable and so if you're comfortable in your faith right now I want to I press you a little bit and one of those things is making you raise hand like you're a third grader more on Jesus' humanity Jesus had parents raise your hand if you've had parents some people confused by the question so let me be more specific. If you're the biological sum of, of two, a male and a female reproducing, right? Raise your hand if you have parents. I don't, even if you don't know them, even if it's that, raise your hand if you have a step-parent. Jesus had a step-dad. He had no earthly father, which, by the way, is why his bloodline ran direct from heaven. He had a biological mother on earth. He had a step-dad. If you've got step-parents, you've gone through the... He, so did Jesus. Jesus had siblings. Raise your hand if you got siblings. You know that misery, don't you? No, I'm just kidding. I told my little brother he was adopted for years, right? It's like, Jared, you don't look like us. <laughs> now he's a doctor and laughs at me. Okay, so Jesus had siblings. Raise your hand if you got siblings. Oh, I just went down. Uh, Jesus was a baby. Did you guys know that? Oh, we love baby Jesus. But you know what comes after being a baby? Being a toddler. How many of you have not thought about Jesus as a toddler before? You see a three-year-old like, Jesus was one of those. (laughs) Learning things, growing in wisdom, a toddler. Guess what comes after toddlerhood, child? Guess what comes after that? Oh, he starts preaching. No, he was a teenager. Some of you refuse to believe that? No way, Jesus was a teenager. I've I've had teenagers. They actually are demons, right? (laughs) Jesus was a teenager. By the way, he was considered a man at like, Twelve, so teenager was like earlier than that and he was thrust into adulthood quicker than in America which we're going to try to make it like 40 before you have to be an adult pretty soon and Jesus became an adult Jesus went to school raise your hand if you've been been to school at all in your life like I refuse to raise my hand, this is church right, just lemon suckers "Mm, I don't like all these questions I don't like these Jesus went to school, he learned he learned. He had classmates. I hope he had recess, right? <clears throat> I love this one. Jesus had a job. Do you know that? He probably started working with his dad at the age of twelve as an apprentice. Look, we can study simple Jewish history and know that men began working at the age of twelve. He didn't start preaching until he was thirty. What did he do? I think he floated for a while. What did he do? He got up in the morning early. He had breakfast with who? Siblings? Parents? stepdad bag lunch dad said let's roll we got a big patio today okay he goes out to the he goes out to the, the 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 material lot by the way it wasn't wood it wasn't like carpentry today like saws and wood it was stone i've been to israel it's all stone the ruins are stone He go drag he's dragging rocks across town he's breaking rocks he's working hard he's under the middle eastern sun right i imagine the pharisees come walking down the street and there's this 15-year-old breaking rocks. And they're like, oh, to be poor. And it's God. It's God. It's God sitting there. He's like, oh, to be God, you'll see. Right? Don't worry. I got your name, me. <laughs> I'm learning, but I still know all things. <laughs> right? They come down, and they look at this poor peasant. And who is it? It's God. And he's working. I love that. Co-owned a business with his dad. When was the last time you thought about the God of the universe had to work for 18 years? Look Look at these kids in the back. They haven't even been alive 18 years. Jesus worked longer than these folks have been alive. Worked. But they didn't write anything about it. There was nothing to write about. Would anyone write about your job? Right? What'd you do today? Same thing as yesterday. Any questions? Got up, made a patio, went back home. Did the same thing. No Instagram word of mouth. People down the street be like, hey, this is a great patio. Some homie Jesus did it. Go check with him. Like, hey, Jesus, could you and your dad maybe a patio? We'll put you in the books. It's like, oh, that's kind of demeaning. No, it's not. It's Jesus is a man. This is how well he can relate with you. He can relate with Monday morning. The God of Hinduism can't. The God of Islam can't. The God of Buddhism can't. The God of Scientology can't. They're above all that. God says, I became lower than that. I came to you. Now I can empathize. He knows exactly what it's like to wake up before the sun and work. That's the God I want to serve. Not the one that has no clue about that. He's above work and then expects me to work. Jesus says, I'll show you. He was creating in Genesis 1 and he came as a carpenter. No surprise. Jesus had a job, Jesus had friends. I mean, he went camping with like 12 dudes for three years. You know, some funny stuff happened there. <laughs> you ever seen guys around a campfire with no girls around? It gets, it smells, it's weird, it's awkward jokes. Never sinful, but Jesus had fun with his friends. He had friends. Jesus got invited to weddings. Who knows why he got invited to weddings? Because he was fun. You're trying to come up with some theological. Because he was fun. Jesus was fun to have. And he brought some booze. <laughs> oh, there's kids in the back. Right? Well, you got questions about that afterwards? You let me know. I got a four point scale for you. None of you can drink yet. Okay? But he, why did he go to weddings? Because he was fun. Right? He was fun to have at weddings. He got hungry. Who knows what he did when he got hungry? He ate. It's crazy. He got thirsty. You know what he did when he got thirsty? He drank. Every time you drink, you're like, Jesus knows. He was funny. He laughed. But he also got angry. The Bible shows us a couple instances that he gets angry. He, with righteous anger. When people tried to get between him and restorative works, I mean, I, I, I get chills every time I think of when they brought the man in with the, with the hand who probably been made fun of his whole life. Like, I got a kid in first grade. I already know him coming home being like, every once in a while, like, they're mean, mom. Sometimes they're mean. This kid grows up in ancient first... And first I mean, these kid, kids are kids. They're mean no matter what year it is. Making fun of this guy. His whole life an ostracized, an outcast. Can't work, Right? No one wants to be around. They bring him and Jesus starts to heal him, and he can see the Pharisees are looking at him, seeing if he's gonna work on the Sabbath. He said he looked at him and he was angry. He was angry. He's like, oh, Jesus is kumbaya. Look, he didn't get angry for the same reasons we do, but you better believe he knows what it's like to be angry. Don't put God so far away that he doesn't understand those emotions. That's why he's given you those emotions, so that we can identify in return with him. Jesus cried, he wept. Gentlemen, you know how I know it's okay for men to cry? Because if Jesus perfected masculinity and he cried, we can cry. Don't cry all the time. Don't be that guy. But <laughs> Jesus cried like one to three times in the Bible. That's all you get. But choose wisely. <laughs> and one better be your wedding day. <laughs> Jesus felt Pain. He felt pain. We know the cross. You think he wasn't a kid that didn't scab his knee? You think he didn't cut himself on the workplace? You think he didn't clean up a little blood spot on the porch? And no one knew it was God's blood. No one knew it was God's blood on the work site. Jesus felt pain. Jesus mourned. He mourned when he lost friends. He knew the pain of life. You know the pain of relationships? Hebrews 1 takes us way up above the angels. That God. Every bit is true. But thank goodness God didn't stay there. Praise Jesus that God didn't stay there. He comes down eye level. That's the Jesus that you can have open conversation with. The one that you think, man, it's just, I'm going through this and how do I pray to him about that? Just talk to him. Relationship issues, doubt issues, work issues, family issues, sibling issues, anger issues, mourning. That's the God we serve. The one that in all divinity added humanity. So that is, Hebrews 4.15 says that we could have a great high priest. It says this in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, Christian, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So I'd ask you to just reflect right now. Are are you like me? Do you put him off here too often? Or to be honest, one of the things we haven't addressed is the people that put him down here and he's never up there. There's no reverence. It's just Jesus is my homeboy all the time and they don't take that earnest heed that the author began with. Well, he's just, he was a good guy, teacher, teachings. I'll figure it out. Do you view God, Jesus, as more God or more man? Because none of us will get it right, but we should really fight to stay in the middle. Do you see him as more God or more man? Is Jesus too big to know what you're going through or is he too small to be able to rescue you from it? Is Jesus too big to hear from or is he too small to heed what he says? I put him up here way too often and I forget that Jesus is eye level, eye to eye with me and can identify with me on everything. That's the God that we serve like no other false God of any fake religion. No one comes up with that. So the good news is this: is that Jesus is all powerful and entirely personal. He's big enough to rescue you, and he was small enough to understand what you're going through. He became lower than the angels. It says this in the second part of verse eight. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He's talking about man, not Jesus. It says that Jesus put all in subjection under man. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see that all things are put under him. He says this, he says, look, man was given dominion over everything, but have you noticed that we don't have dominion over everything? That's what he's saying. In the beginning, God was, man was given dominion over everything, and then we left. We departed, we sinned, we fractured. So we were given dominion over everything in perfection, we left, we rebelled, and so now we don't. People are like, I have dominion over this, I can do as I please and do as I say. Hey, when was the last time you controlled the weather? And I know we don't get weather out here again, I know it's like a struggle, there's stuff that actually comes from the sky every once in a while, but, like, but when was the last time we could control weather? When was the last time we could control disease? We don't even have a cure for the common cold, people. We certainly can't have dominion over death. Weather, disease, death. And it says this in verse 9, but we see Jesus. I love that. But we see Jesus. See, everything we lost in Adam, we're going to gain in Jesus. We're going to get back. It's going to be restored. It's going to be fulfilled. It's going to be perfected. It says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. What dominion Adam lost is regained and fulfilled and restored in Jesus. Jesus rules over the spiritual realm. The angels worship him and the demons shudder when they see him. And Jesus rules over the physical realm. That's why he came and he calmed the storm. He stopped the weather. That's why he cured the sick And that's why he came to undo death. And it's going to go into that. It says that he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He says, he who sanctifies, that's Jesus. And those who are being sanctified, those who are becoming more like Jesus, he says, you're one. You're one. In the end, you're in this process of sanctification. The Bible declares you to be perfect. In that process of sanctification, you are perfect. Perfect doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means you're in a process to become more like Jesus. It means that you've taken off your robe of wickedness, you've put on your cloak of righteousness, so when God goes to judge, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And in him, which is the way that the Bible declares Christians to be, Christian is a title given two or three times in the New Testament, hundreds of times it says if you're in him, you're perfect. But I still sin, if you're in him, you're perfect before a holy God being sanctified he who sanctifies and the ones who are being sanctified we're now one for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one and he is not ashamed to call them brethren no other god will call you brothers and sisters verse 12 saying i will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly i will sing praise to you and again i will put my trust in him and again here am i and the children whom God has given me, inasmuch then the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil." He came back to relinquish the last bit of leverage that Satan, that fallen angel has. Jesus created angels. They rebelled. They were given dominion over the earth. They were given the power of death. And Jesus came and says, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to take it back. This is the only religion on the planet that at the central theme, the central topic, the central message, the central event of their God is complete humiliation. No one comes up with that fake God. It is the only religion that at the core of our theology is the utter, complete humiliation of God. You can't make this up. That he would come and he, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, for therefore he does not give aid to angels, but does not give aid to but does give aid to the seed of Abraham. See, angels are secure, demons are secure in their eternity. But he does give us forgiveness, therefore, in all things he had been made like, like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful, high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation. Propitiation. For the sins of the people, for that in he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Propitiation simply means the removal of divine wrath. Removal of divine wrath. In Genesis 3, we unleashed the wrath of God upon ourselves when we rebelled. Every day, every time we sin, we unleash the wrath of God upon ourselves. The Bible says one sin separates you from God. If you you could have a wish, who here would wish to just sin once a day? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be an amazing lurch forward for your faith? Once a day. You know what that means? 365 sins before you turn one. Born a child of wrath, the Bible says. 365 sins before you turn one. You might not even be walking yet. You are 365 points away from entering heaven. People say, You're going to stand before God and say, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. This wrath has been building, it continues to build. And he says that this Jesus, this man who came to see eye level with people, came as a propitiation. Here's the bad news. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as one man, as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. We can't escape death. It's one of the things we all have in common. We're all headed to the grave. So Jesus as our forerunner went to the grave. And Jesus went in blameless and sinless, and the grave was created for sinners, therefore the grave could not hold him. And it says on the cross, something happened. Do you notice that in the garden, Jesus didn't pray to have this, this beating removed from him? Did you notice that Jesus didn't pray to have the crown of thorns taken from him? That he didn't pray to have the sucker punches be taken from him that he didn't pray for the spit and the mocking and the scourging to be taken from him what did he pray to God the Father to be taken away from him it says take this what this cup what's the cup the cup of God's wrath the wrath that had been storing up and some of you read the old testament and you're like god had anger issues then jesus came and it's like kumbaya it's almost like something happened that this god of anger and wrath is suddenly quenched. And the removal of divine wrath happened as Jesus hung there on a cross. And he looked up and he said Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani, which means my god my god why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone father? I'm in eternal communion with you. I've never been away from you dad. Because in that moment, the Bible says, he made him who knew no sin, who knew no sin, tempted in every way, in every way that you've ever been tempted, yet without sin. He said he made him who knew no sin to be sin. He became sin. His physical nature was now sin. And he said, Father, take this cup from me, because what he was facing on the cross was not a crucifixion, it was the wrath of God. And God the Father poured out all his wrath on the Son. And when Jesus became sin, God destroyed him as sin. And then he put him into the grave. The grave made for sinners couldn't hold him, so Jesus rose and he snatched the power of death from the devil. And now God the Father is satisfied. That's why he's not angry with you anymore. Jesus came as this propitiation. The good news is that it's not what you do to get to God. It's what God has done to get to you. Amen?